Let's do uh, the lip sync challenge. I'm going to sing a song. Kidding. Not singing a song. Uh, although, I guess it would be comical at some level. I am, uh, one, a bad singer. And two, I am one of those people who doesn't understand the words and songs. And when I hear songs, it like takes me forever to figure out, oh, my God, they were saying this, this word. I just make up bullshit words. I hear them. I'm just one of those people who's not good with music. But I am good with case law. And today we're going to talk about piece of case law that came out, which is relevant for us as New Jersey police officers. Uh, the rest of the country, you could chime in and listen. But again, I want to stress and iterate to you that this is a New Jersey-specific case, uh, hence why we're discussing it um, for New Jersey police officers. This is State versus Robert L. Evans. What's, what they talk about here is the plain feel uh, and providing agency to do a strip search. I'm going to give you the gist of it. Um, just listen to the details. Don't take things at face value. I'm going to try to stress the stuff that's important in this case. And this is just basically the brief from, if you go to the website, which I will, I'll actually post this, uh, the, the link to go to the New Jersey Supreme Court opinions. And you could read this yourself. It, I can understand a lot of people say to me, hey, it gets confusing to read case law. And I can understand why. Uh, even some of my close friends who are very, very intelligent still find some stuff confusing what they're talking about. And when you read case law, you got to look at like, see, I'm, I'm highlighting things, what the points they're trying to get to are sometimes a little bit of fluff. So this is what happens. This goes back to 2012 and we didn't see it come to fruition in the Supreme court, in New Jersey till 2018. So six years later, we finally get a ruling. I'm going to give you a quick rundown. It comes out of Vineland. Uh, the guy's name is uh, officer Felipe Laboy. All right. Um, and basically, before he goes on his patrol shift, he prints out a list of people who are wanted to have outstanding warrants for his arrest. That's the patrol division or whatever. That's how he does things. Him and his partner go out. They look and they find a guy who's on his list. The guy's name is Robert Evans, who's a defendant. So they see Evans uh, in a parking lot. He kind of tries to dip on them. They catch up to him. Uh, he fails to provide documentation on the motor vehicle stop. They arrest him on his outstanding warrants. They place Evans under arrest and conduct a pat-down search of Evans' incident to his arrest. Now you can do it, obviously, a full uh, a full search. But what I'm guessing here is they begin to pat Frisk in his area, probably below his belt or around his belt line. All right, during the search, LeBoy found 2000 in cash in Evans' pants pockets, which is really uh, this area they found him in was prostitution and drugs. Um, he also noticed the bulge in the groin area of Evans' jeans. In patting down that area, he felt a rock-like substance based on having felt similar objects maybe over a hundred times. LeBoy believed to be the substance was, was crack cocaine. Uh, so it sounds like LeBoy's got some experience as a police officer, probably one of those guys in his agency who um, you know, is probably a little more proactive, maybe even in this group. Hopefully you are, my brother. Uh, good work. Here's what the court said. Let me just go back to this a little bit, uh, and I'm going to iterate this again later on. He said he felt a rock-like substance. Later on in this ruling, the court said they liked the idea that they that this officer was descriptive. It wasn't just something that was similar to a furtive movement. You want to always be descriptive. You're going to describe a furtive movement. Describe what actually happened. Don't write furtive movement. That's what gets people looking like morons in court. So if the passenger leaned down, you didn't see their head anymore, their shoulder looked like it was moving around, you could see their elbow shoving something. That's what you want to write your report. Like you want to be super descriptive. You don't want to put furtive. He made a furtive movement because you have to explain that in court. So you can say, just write it 
as it happened, exactly how it happened when you're talking about things along this area. I'm going to skip past this. So what happens is it goes to the appellate division. The guy gets convicted on the Superior Court level. They appeal. It goes to appellate division. Appellate division reverses it, saying, no, the cop couldn't do this. Um, Okay, let me read the rest of this. I'm sorry. My apologies. Let me go back a little bit. So, LeBoy believed the substance was crack cocaine. The sergeant arrived on the scene and gave LeBoy permission to transport Evans back to the station for a strip search. Between Evans' pants and underwear were two plastic bags. One bag contained nine baggies of heroin. The other had two smaller bags of crack cocaine. The police secured a search warrant for Evans' car. Now, at that time, remember, we're in the Peña Flores days. We lost the automobile exception. Don't get confused. This was 2012. We got it back in 2015. We now revert back to 1981 in State versus Austin on uh, automobile searches uh, under the automobile exception here in the state of New Jersey. Uh, the police secured a search warrant for Evans' car, from which they later recovered a handgun loaded with hollow point bullets. Don't have to go through the process of getting a search warrant if you developed enough probable cause to search the car on scene. I would also, if you're going to want to search a car because you're finding things like this, I would suggest uh, strongly to just get a canine unit to indicate on the scene, search the car. Remember, once you tow it back, the car is no longer searchable. You'll have to go for a search warrant or get consent to search. So what happens is, now I'm going to just switch back over. The sergeant on scene told him, yeah, you have enough to do a strip search. Bring him back to police headquarters and strip search him. Now, how did we know that he was authorized to do a strip search? Well, we go to the New Jersey Attorney General Guidelines for strip searching. So I would suggest that in your state where you are, go to your attorney general guidelines or whatever guidelines you guys follow and begin to read them and understand them. Good job, Sergeant and Violent, who knew what he could do. So here's the search requirements. And it says right here, A, uh, and I don't have like the uh, the OBS software set up for this video, but it says uh, detention or arrest with cust without custodial confinement. It tells you if you don't have custodial confinement, what you can do. Um, and then it goes into with custodial confinement. Now, the sergeant told him to transport him back to police headquarters, which would put him into custodial confinement. And here's what it says. Uh, for a strip search, not a body cavity search where you're looking at buttholes and pee-pee holes, okay? Um, this is a strip search. And you can go into what a strip, strip search is. It's under, you know, for uh, undergarments and those certain areas. So for the requirement of a strip search, it says, A, the officer in charge authorizes confinement in a municipal detention facility, which is your police station, or transfer to adult correctional facility, and, underlined, officer in charge authorizes a search, and, you need these three things, one of the following, a search warrant, consent, or three, which came into play here, reasonable suspicion to believe that the person is concealing weapon, contraband, or controlled dangerous substance. So, good job to the violent police, who actually knew what a strip search AG guideline was, did what they were supposed to do, played it smart. Congratulations. Somebody who knows what they're doing. Okay. I'm impressed when I see things like that. It looks like a good job here. Uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to fix for all of you is to get you educated so we do things correctly because the old way of doing things is gone. Right? It should have been gone a long time ago. I'm trying to change a lot of stuff. So what happens is he gets found guilty. The appellate division actually comes in and says, Okay, we're reversing this. That was no good. That search was no good. And then the Supreme Court steps in. So that's why we say, be careful what you're following on the appellate level. Let's see if it's getting appealed up to the Supreme Court level. And certainly it was. And the Supreme Court disagreed with the appellate, went back and remanded it back to Superior Court, reinstated the, that it was uh, that it was not suppressed properly. You know, there was no because it was there was no it was no suppression. It was good to go.
Um, so they reversed the appellate division's decision again. That's why you had these different court systems, because if there's a mistake, the next court fixes it. So a lot of times they won't get appealed from the appellate division up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court won't hear it because when they review it, they say, no, that was the decision we would go with. There's no reason for us to hear it. When they got this, came across their desk, they said, oh, well, we have a problem here. The appellate division ruled on this improperly. So this is what the Supreme Court of New Jersey said. It says the panel erred in its application of the Plainfield Doctrine. Officer LaBoy had witnessed hundreds of instances where defendants concealed. Now remember these details I'm talking about. This is an experienced police officer and feeling something which he found immediately apparent to be something he recognized as probable cause. Okay, So you have to have a little experience to pull something like this off. You have to, when you feel something, maybe doing a search or a protective frisk, immediately recognize it. So in your report, you're going to write, as I was searching Mr. Evans uh, across his waistband, I went across, felt that uh, that object that I saw was a bulge. Somebody, of course, is calling me during the video. Just um, and they immediately recognized that as a rock-like object consistent with crack cocaine. Okay. <clears throat> Officer LeBoy had witnessed hundreds of instances where a defendant concealed contraband in the front of their pants and therefore immediately recognized the rock-like substance he felt to be similar to crack cocaine. Between the officer's experience, derived identification of the substance, and the presence of 2000 in cash, the Plainfield exception, which the court adopts, applied. So what they're saying here is the court adopts the Plainview uh, exception, the Plainfield exception, not Plainview, Plainfield exception. So this is an important it's actually an important case for all of us here in New Jersey. Basically, it says to support finding probable cause, an officer must demonstrate there's a well-grounded suspicion that criminal activity is afoot. If probable cause is established, courts must explore exceptions to the warrant requirement. Okay, go down a little bit. It says the court holds that contraband found during the course of a lawful pat-down may be seized without a warrant if the officer feels an object whose contour or mass makes its identity uh Immediately apparent. That's under State versus Dickerson. That comes out of, let's see, uh, U.S. Supreme Court reasoning in Dickerson. That wasn't in Toth. We have uh, New Jersey, T-O-T-H. I'll put all these cases up so you guys can read these. So basically, in closing on this, Supreme Court says here, LaVoy lawfully pulled over Evans for a suspected trespassing on hotel property that was known that was a known hotbed for prostitution and drug activity. Evans had an active warrant for his arrest. LeBoy was required to arrest Evans regardless of the reason and did not have to investigate the nature of the charge. So he was required because the guy had a warrant. He cannot just decide to not take a guy on a warrant. LeBoy placed Evans under arrest, perform a duly authorized pat-down, because we know in the state of New Jersey and everywhere, I'd have to imagine the same thing. An arrest is an arrest, and it gives you the right to search somebody under any circumstance, whether it's a murder or it's a traffic warrant. You still get the same uh, authorization because you're bringing somebody into custody, and it's it's a it's it's authorized. You're trying to interdict or intercept any kind of dangerous or contraband on somebody. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Merck. All right. So um, <clears throat> let's see. LeBoy placed Evans under arrest, performed a duly authorized pat down, therefore was in lawful position when he first felt the, bu- the bulge. There is sufficient credible evidence in the record to support the trial court's finding that it was immediately apparent to the officer that drugs are present. Officer LeBoy's description of a rock-like substance combined with the cash he found and the officer's hundreds of similar encounters merits the application of the plain view exception. Thus, the officer here meets both prongs of NJSA 2A161A1B and was permitted to perform a strip search on Evans. As compared to past cases, the officer here gave 
sufficient detail to justify his search. Although a graphic description is not needed to qualify for the plain field exception, the court stresses that an officer must offer more detail than saying he felt contraband. The more detail, the better. So sometimes less is more, but sometimes more is more. In this situation, more is more. The court reverses the judgment of the appellate division and reinstates Evans' conviction. So good one for the cops. Uh, this came out June 28th. As some of you may know, I was on vacation for a little bit. Uh, I have a family that needs their father to be there and do family things. I didn't need time to relax. I really like to work, and I find this is my happy place here, providing training for police officers. So with that being said, I want to do another video, but I'm going to put that one off uh, for tomorrow uh, to spare you from another video for today. Tomorrow, I'm going to try to really get into the three types of informants, citizen informants, anonymous tipsters, and criminal informants. We're going to go over those tomorrow in detail. Hopefully, nothing comes up. I'll be able to do that for you, and um, we should be able to cover that. With that being said, check out streetcoptraining.com. We're traveling all over the country. The two-day course, one-day course. I have, no, I have more courses I'm writing as I'm sitting here with you guys. I'm writing a second two-day case law. I'm sorry, one-day case law course. Uh, we have other instructors that we're talking to. So a lot of good stuff to come for the for the street cop community. New T-shirts have been ordered. Um, I can't show them to you because, uh, but we're going to, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start giving some of them away as soon as we get them in. So see you guys later.